I want to preach on a sermon very shortly, briefly, that I titled The Glory of Thorns. Say it to your neighbor, The Glory of Thorns. Someone said to me many years ago, I did a discourse on thorns. Would you please stay on the keep for me? Thank you. I'd love for you to stay. Thank you so much. That would make me no shout. It's almost like an oxymoron to put glory and thorns side by side. As I flip through the scriptures, especially looking at the Philippians epistle, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was in prison. There were four books that we call the prison epistle. Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. I struggle with the text this morning because I think one of the things that we've grown to learn is when we hear the word glory, what comes to mind is the splendor of God. What comes to mind is the beauty of God, the doxa of God, the kabod, the shekinah, the light of heaven, the force of God, the ruach of God. And we have all these nice terminologies to mean, you know, glory. But it, there is a glory that we don't preach about in church. And the glory is not the fire or the wind or the shekinah or the presence or the kabod. There is a type of glory called suffering. And this is one sermon you wouldn't hear in churches because we tend to demonize suffering and make suffering look like a taboo. But there is a very rare kind of glory that is called suffering. And I want you to stay with me today as we flip through the text. And here of a man who believes is one of the most astute men who walked on the face of the earth and those of you online also want to thank you for joining online we love you we appreciate you thank you you are not an outsider you are part of the house amen the man by the name of paul would write in chapter number four of the book of ephesians it talked about what i call the peter says that paul's writing was so complicated that even the Jews did understand what he meant by what he wrote. Ephesians, like we know, I've done a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on Ephesians. And Ephesians is the book of the church. Look at Ephesians and look at chapter number 2 of the book of Revelation. You realize that Ephesians is, uh, Paul emphasized on Ephesians as the concept of the church. Chapter number 1 of Ephesians speaks about the calling of the church. Chapter 2 speaks about the constitution of the church. Chapter 3 speaks about the commissioning of the church. Chapter 4 speaks about the conduct of the church. Chapter 5 speaks about the confession of the church. And chapter 6 speaks about the conflict of the church. And amazing theologians try to separate chapter number 1, 2, and 3 as the wealth of the believer, the riches of the believer. And chapter 4, 5, 6 as the walk of the believer. As I read chapter number 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians, what you find are spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You find nothing on the earth. All you find is adoption, cleronomia, cleronomia, election, sanctification, holiness, righteousness. 
These are the blessings the Bible says Paul speaks of in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then when Paul started chapter number four, the discourse changed. So I beseech you. No, it starts with I, a prisoner, Desmios in the Greek. The word prisoner means someone under arrest. The NKJV and the KJV have a little difference in their translation committee. The ESV says, I, a prisoner for the Lord. And the NKJV says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. And theologians try to argue what the meaning is for or or. The ESV is not wrong, it's the English Standard Version. And when they use the word, I, a Desmos, for the Lord, they were saying that Paul was sold up to the gospel of Christ. It's a prisoner who has no choice of ease. It's a prisoner for the Lord. But when the NKJV says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, the writers were assuming that Paul was bound in chains in Rome as a prisoner. And he calls himself the Dolos, which is the bond servant. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Ephesians, Paul began to explain to us of the suffering that qualifies us for the breakthrough or the blessings in heaven. We'll talk about chapter number 1, 2, 3 are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But there are requirements that you have to possess on the face of the earth that qualifies you for the blessings that are in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Paul writes in verse number one, I, a prisoner, urge, paraketelo, urge you to walk, peripetio, sorry for the Greek, walk worthy axio of the calling which, which you have been called. What Paul is saying that as much as you enjoy the spiritual blessings that are in chapter one, two, three, but you have to walk worthy according to the call with which you have been called. There is an expectation for the believer who wants to enjoy these spiritual blessings to walk a certain way on the earth. The Bible says, if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. We must come to a place where the church stops binding and casting suffering with Jesus. It is a necessary part of the call. You must walk worthy according to the Call Kalio, you stay. Sometimes when used as classes, it means the pain that comes from the sowing. We cannot call ourselves believers and then demonize the process for its exhortation. And the writer of Hebrews writes to the believer, Bible says, For what was set before him had to endure the cross. What was the point for God to come in the form of a man, humiliate himself, then exalted on the cross? Why did he have to die? Can't God just send Jesus to be nailed on the cross or just come and can, is there no other way for salvation? Should, should there be propitiation or expiation? Should there be death on the cross? Why would he have to die? And as I flipped the Bible, I realized that Satan took him three times to be tempted. And the last time Jesus had to curse him out, the devil said to the Lord, look at the beauty of the kingdom. Look at the wealth of the kingdom. You don't have to die, just bow 
if you can bow, I will give you the kingdom. You don't have to die. Like I see every time, what was he doing? Offering him the kingdom without the cross. And a lot of us are like that. We like to move from Gethsemane and end in glory. We don't like Golgotha. We don't like the place of skull. We don't like to suffer. Even Jesus in his humane form in Matthew 26 cried out, God, take this cup away from me. God, take this away. Do I have to suffer on the cross? Then he says, not my will, but your will be done. Second Corinthians chapter number 12. That is the kind of glory that is rare. And that is the glory we need in the latter days. The glory of his suffering. Say to your neighbor, the glory of his suffering. It is doubtless, not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord I know. A man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up in the third heaven. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. We try to allegorize the word infirmity to mean it's just saying stuff. It doesn't really mean what the, the Bible is very intentional. It says what it means and means what it says. But it's interesting how the writer writes. I don't want to boast about how I went to the third heaven. I don't want to boast about how I heard inexpressible words called aretos in the Greek. Words that cannot be conveyed by the human comprehension. I could have boasted about how I had an encounter with God and how I went to the throne room of God and how I was in paradise and how I had uh, uh, experiences beyond the constellation. I, I could have boasted about how, you know, I'm the greatest prophet in town, the greatest apostle in town. I could have boasted because I studied under Gamaliel. I, I'm, I'm a man of great repute. I, I could have boasted because I'm a man of great fame. I was part of pursuing the Sanhedrin. I was about to be one of the council of the rulers. I could have boasted because I've healed the sick and raised the dead and done all sorts of miracles. I could have boasted because I'm not speaking to you from just the Milky Ways. I've gone beyond the constellation and the stellar heavens. I could have boasted because I know God, but I boast in my infirmity. He could have boasted in all these things we pride ourselves in. The foolishness of today's church is when people call themselves the greatest of the greats. I'm the greatest prophet. I'm the greatest apostle. I'm the great. You are the greatest. You are the greatest. And Paul writes, I don't boast in these things that would have given me a designation, premium pope. Prelates. Supreme apostle. Major one. He said, I could have done all these things, but I boast in my pain. Think about that for, for a while. You're not boasting about your degrees, about how learned you are, about how an amazing speaker you are, about how you have an amazing job, about how the Lord has called you to the nations of the world, about how you lay hands on the sick and they recover, about how your voice has gone around nations of the world. You don't boast about how you are a voice and a, voice and a force to be reckoned with. 
You don't boast about how the Lord has opened doors for you and you sit with great men and nobles and kings uh, and you share experiences. You don't boast about how you earn millions of pounds every other week. You don't boast about all these things and you boast about, I boast in God because of my pain. I've been praying and nothing has been working. I've been afflicted, but I boast in God in my affliction. And Paul writes, except in my infirmities, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So Paul is saying, it would have been easy for me to boast, but if I boast, you might escalate it, but you might just take it too far. So I choose to boast in my infirmity. And the Bible says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Now one of the things you must understand Paul, I believe that outside of Jesus, Paul is the other person who walked on the face of the earth with some next level wisdom and revelation. How Paul speaks sometimes. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.16 I believe, but Peter says that Paul was so deep that even himself and the rest of the Jews don't understand when he speaks. And Paul was a man who was given mysteries Ephesians chapter number 2 and 3 speaks of the mysteries that was given to Paul by God's special revelation. And the word mystery, when you look at the Greek coin, is the word mysterion, which means it has been hidden throughout generations and has just now been revealed. So there were revelations that Paul had that the rest of the patriarchs had no clue. Given to Paul, Paul was a man who walked in such a level of unprecedented grace for wisdom. When Paul spoke, the, the, the pagans and the heathens, they had to listen. When Paul spoke, the great elites of the times had to listen. Who is this guy who speaks like a god? At a point, they called him Hermes. Hermes is a messenger. You have your, your deliveries from Hermes and all that. It's a Greek god, a messenger, an orator, a, a, a messenger. Paul was considered a god to be idolized because of the wealth of knowledge this man walked in. Paul was so deep that there were two branches to Christianity called the Pauline Epistle and the Pauline Christianity. The Pauline Epistle are the books written by Paul. The Pauline, the Pauline Gospel are atheists or atheistic agnostic minds that feel like Paul and Jesus spoke opposite. Paul was a red breed. If you haven't spent the time, please do if you have the spare time. Read the Pauline, and I love the Petrine, I love the Joachim, but Peter and John, sorry for that. But the Pauline epistle, the writings of Paul, is general epistle, is prison epistle, is pastoral epistle. Look at Paul, and you will understand that man walked in some level of revelation that you cannot even understand. Up to date, the Greek scholars use lexicons to decipher what Paul means. Because Paul's words are more than just the rare meaning. And Paul writes here, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of my revelation, Paul knew he was too good. I should have boasted by the abundance of my revelations. Catch what it says. I should have boasted. But it says, a thorn in the flesh 
was given to me. I have had both sides of the camp. Who gave him the thorn of the flesh? Was it God? Was it Satan? Or did God allow it? We understand the providence of God. But the question now, Paul is saying, I could have boasted amongst all believers, among the apostles, that I am the most respected with some unprecedented level of revelation. But the reason why I'm not going to do that is because I've got a weakness. A thumb in the flesh was given to me. There is a comma there. A messenger of Satan to buffet or frustrate me. Hold on one moment, what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it would have been easy for me to wear the cape and say, well, I am the best of the best. But to humble me, I have to be given a thorn in the flesh. To make me know that I'm not, I haven't arrived, I have to be given a thorn in the flesh. To keep me humble so that I don't exalt myself beyond what I should be exalted for. A thorn was given to me and I glory myself, glory God in my thorn. And as I flip through the text, it says a, a demon was sent to frustrate me. A messenger of Satan. The word, look at the word in the Septuagint, is the word Malak. And the word Malak, from the word Malachi, speaks of a messenger. The word Malachi is not used as Angelus or Angelus, which is the New Testament word for angel, the one that bear good news. But the word Malak is used as a messenger. Called, possibly could be a, an angel or a demon. So a demon or a person as an agent. So the Septuagint tried to, and I like to study patristic theology, I look at the fathers of the faith like, 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 um, like Tertullian and use the word Malak. And I ask why was the word not translated in the Greek form and why used in the Septuagint? Because the word there, a messenger of Satan could be people or could be a demon. Do you have people in your life that frustrate you? <laughs> Welcome to the club. And Paul said, I could have exalted myself beyond everything, but, I, but a, a thorn in the flesh. And, and, and I don't want to go into the thorn, what it means. There are many speculations. I've got, I've got my speculation of what a thorn means. I, I did a, a discourse with some college professors back then, and I have my view of the book of um, Hebrews. Um, a lot of people say it was his eyesight because he on his way to Damascus. He lost his sight because of the light that shone in his face. A lot of people say it was when he was beaten and almost to the point of death or he died. And then they left a scar or a mark. I don't know if it's the eyes, I don't know if it's the body, but one thing I know that there was a thorn that kept him from exalting himself. And may I suggest to you that sometimes the reason why thorns, we find thorns in our lives, is not because God doesn't care about us, but sometimes to humble us. Why? Because there was a glory that comes from the suffering. Are you hearing me, church? I feel like I've been praying for certain things that are not working. God wants to see how much we can endure the process for his glory to be revealed in our pain. And we are a church that like to cast and bind the process. We'll cast and bind pain. We'll cast and bind what is necessary for the next level. And then we ask God, God, I've been waiting and fasting. And the Lord said, all these things we are working together for your good. The pain that you just casted out and bound was working out for your good. All things, good and bad, works out for your good. 
The breakup worked out for your good. The divorce worked out for your good. The tears worked out for your good. Why? Because in the end, what God was doing, he was mixing the good and the bad. He was mixing the painful and the glorified. He was mixing everything so that in the end, it will work together for the good of those who love the Lord and to those who are called according to his purpose. So the Lord said, before you start casting and binding purpose, ask God for discernment. There's a difference between long-suffering and suffering long. For long-suffering is actually a fruit, but suffering long is the spirit we have to cast and bind. Ask God, why do I have to? And that's what we are, a lot of us are binding and casting the fruits of the spirit. And Paul writes, a messenger of Satan to perfect me, lest I be exalted above measure. What Paul is saying, that the Lord allowed it or the Lord gave it, I do not know. But Paul said that it was allowed for this demon or for this thorn so that he would not boast in, his, in himself. How many of you are here and you feel like there is a thorn somewhere that is messing you up? I'm there, I'm there. You feel like there is a demon that's not letting you go. That's this one thing that's always making you pray and pray and fast. How many of you feel like that life is just like a thorn? You know? God, why? That one prayer point you've been praying from time that seemed like God has abandoned you. The Lord said, if you just endure one more moment, there's a glory that is meant to be revealed from the scar. Without the breaking, there is no breakthrough. Without the scar, there is no star. And sometimes we give up and say, God, why should I have to suffer? Because for some people, it's okay for them to get the glory without the suffering. But Christ, the Bible says, for what was set before him had to endure the cross. There's a glory that comes from suffering. There's a glory that comes from the pain that sometimes we don't understand why we have to go through what others get free of charge. Because God is glorified in suffering. Amen. Concerning these thing I pleaded concerning this thorn I pleaded with the Lord. The, the word pleaded he uses the word means urge, means the word to beg I beg the Lord three times that he might depart from me if you're like myself you're asking God to answer one prayer point that has not been answered, let me see your hand you're there, you're asking God, God please we've been pressing, Lord God help us but guess what, stay there Keep praying. Keep pressing. There is a glory that is about to be revealed from that suffering. Hear me? In the end, you'll be shocked. How the same thing you prayed for, God would use you as a template for the world to see what it means to persevere in the pain. Nobody likes to wait in the pain. But in the end, God is the one who gets glorified. You see, if God had given you what you're asking for, when you asked for it, it would have killed you. Behind the door, there is a monster with a claw waiting to pounce on you. And sometimes God shuts the door, not because he doesn't want your breakthrough, because he makes all things beautiful in his time. And sometimes you want to open the door so badly, and God is saying, if you knew what was behind the other side of the curtain, you would have thanked me in your singlehood. Because sometimes you pray for the prince in shining, the knight in shiny armor, and the devil heard that conversation and gives you a demon in shiny armor. And because he refused to wait, 
on the Lord. Time is a physical quantity. Say it every time. Time is measured. Time has a beginning and an end. And God is not a God of time. Say it every time. God doesn't come on time, doesn't come in time. He doesn't come late, he doesn't come early. Listen, your God is not an early God. Your God is a timeless one. He comes in his own time. He makes all things beautiful in his own time. How do you know you're getting old? Did you create yourself? Are you the one who put a time in your life? He created you. See what you understand by the predestination of God and man. Or the predestination of man by God's foreknowledge. For every, there are no two models for God's creation. Everyone who was created was created with God's divine unique specification. We are not all created alike. When God created you, he puts marriage at a certain age. He put wealth at a certain age. He put this at a Every part of your life, God put time stamps. Time stamps. And your time stamp might be 1.1 second for a breakthrough. And some of them might be 25.6 seconds for that same breakthrough. You need to understand the process that you have to go through in order for your time stamp to work in your favor. We don't like to suffer, but there is something about suffering. For if you suffer with me, you will be a partaker. Metokoi. Partake. Amen. Persecution is from the devil. Tribulation is from the Lord. We understand how some of the Lord allowed these things to happen. And there was a man in the scripture who loved the Lord. Highly, highly influential guy in his time. Loved the things of God. Beautiful kids. Beautiful wife. Beautiful trade. Loved the Lord. And this guy loved the Lord so much so that he frustrated the devil. And the devil went to the Lord and said, Do you know this guy only loves you because you blessed him with children and blessed him with money? Test him. Try him. And everything was stripped up from that man. He did not curse God. I wish we could have believers, myself inclusive, included as well, that we get to a space where we love God so much that hell reports us. You hear what I say? You love God so much that you trouble hell, hell reports you. Bible says, and it said to me, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> Let's stay within the English. But if I go into the Greek today, we might start having class. That's not my intention. A man went to God and said to God, God, I've prayed three times for you to take out this thorn in my flesh. Now, the word thorn in the flesh is not a spiritual thorn. It's a, the word sarcikos in the Greek is the word body. The thorn in the body. It's a physical thing. Maybe it's, it was rib was broken from the beating it was given, or maybe his head was splashing out or something. But it was it was an ailment. The Bible says Paul writes that he's not good looking. He writes it. Look at the scripture in Hebrews. So I'm not, I'm not a man of great sight. And that's the reason why some of us you may not like this. I just say it for saying sake to make someone forget upset. 
That's why some of us believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That book was not signed by anyone. But the Bible says that he wrote, wrote it legibly. Big handwriting. Could be because of his eyesight, we don't know. But when he asked the Lord the answer, the question, the Lord did not tell him the reason for the suffering or why, or could tell him, you know what, I'm going to take a suffering from you in five weeks' time. The Lord told him, my grace, yeah me, is sufficient. My grace will not stop the pain. My grace will not cancel the pain. My grace will not make it less painful. My grace will not trivialize or minimize the hurt or the consequences of the spike and the thorns. No. My grace can carry you through the pain. You didn't hear me. Some of us are praying for the Lord to cancel out the pain. But the Lord says, pray that I give you a strong back. He must carry it. The destiny of your family sometimes is a thorn that you have to carry. If you ask the Lord to take out the thorn from you, you begin to see your family die like flies. The wealth of your family can be a thorn that you have to carry. That you have to be the one that have to stretch and break. Why? Because if you don't carry it, everyone will be stricken by poverty. It is a necessary thorn for glory to be revealed. And the man whom you love is dead. And he waited days. He says, well, he has to die so that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. You love Lazarus. Why would you let him die? Well, I let him die because I want God's glory to be revealed. Amen. My grace is sufficient. I don't really like the prayer, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I don't like God. God, take it for me. He's telling me it's sufficient. Like, God, I don't want sufficiency. Take it out. No, I, don't want, I don't want your grace to be sufficient. I want your grace to end this. Yeah, I don't know. But like, say every time, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, with God, I'm very open with the Lord, Lord, you know, you know. Like I say every time, what cannot kill you makes you stronger. It doesn't make me stronger. I don't want what can kill me, no. So what cannot kill you makes you stronger. Lord Jesus, I don't want to be stronger than this. I'm breaking, man. I'm breaking. But see what he's saying. He says, my grace is sufficient. It's easy for you to just say, you know what, I'm done with, I'm done with this. But once you realize that every pain is there for a specific reason. You go through your pain because guess what? The burden of generations, the burden of your nation, the burden of your family, the burden for something God puts on you. Why well, if he sees that you are good enough or you, it is you that has been appointed to carry the pain of a generation. It's a burden for this nation in my heart. It's a burden for family in my heart. There's a burden for the voice of God in my heart. And I'm burdened so much so that I'm frustrated because I don't know how to manage people sometimes. And sometimes you want to cuss people out and tell them you are out of order. What's wrong with you? I say, son, patience, my grace is sufficient. And sometimes when you give your all to people and in return, they pay you back with some careless, you know, very carefree life. And you want to like, but I... Lord says you have to carry that burden. Amen.
My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. <laughs> okay, the word perfect doesn't mean without error. In the Greek, the word perfect is the word teleos. The word here is a verb. It's actually a nominative verb in the Greek, which means something that is progressive. The word perfect means mature. It's, it's different from the word nepios, which is the crawling child. Perfect means mature. Complete. My grace is completed in your frail. Hear me. My grace is made, or Bible says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is completed in your weakness. So what, what, what the Lord is saying to Paul, what is saying? When you are totally weak, you have zero percent, then I have a hundred percent. When you have forty percent, then I have sixty percent. That is not perfect. Ninety percent is not perfect. And in order for my glory to be revealed hundred percent in you, you have to give me zero. You have to be weak. You have to know that you are nobody. You have to know that you don't qualify for what you ask for. You have to know that you are dead. You are a, you're just like wind. You are, the, you are nothing. You have, to <laughs> you have to realize that I am nothing. I am a dead man. I've got, I'm a dust before the Lord. In that weakness, I realize that the Lord reveals himself more to me when I reveal myself in no way. I realize that God moves in my meetings when I'm nothing. I realize that God moves in my meeting when I don't spend time to come up the stage and bring all the theologies of the word. When I come before the Lord as a broken, weakened vessel, then God moves because he only moves through broken vessels. And he himself, who is God, had to take the form of humiliation, the form of a man, born in a manger, had to humble himself. My glory, my grace is made sufficient for my strength is in your weakness. Guess what I want you to do today? I want you weak today. Forget your strength. You've done enough. It didn't work. Allow God to do his thing. Stop trying to make it work at all costs. No, let God do it. Come to the Lord as a weak man. Lord, I've tried. Now you take over. Lord, you know what? I've done all I could do. I'm, I'm done. Take over. It's grace... His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So when we are unable to conceive the mind that the miracles of heaven, when we say, God, we give up on our strength, we give up on our mind, we just, just take over. And Paul writes, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Somebody said the power of Christ. I like to do this. Words in the Greek could mean a lot. One word. You could just, it, it's very wrong to go on your lexicon and just take a word and run with it. And that's what a lot of us make a mistake. Um, I've spoken to the Bible study theme. I will, in December, take the all of a week. Five, seven days to a Sunday, Monday to a Sunday. Thank you, I've seen it. Monday to a Sunday, I'll take over the whole book, Bible book, 
I'm going to teach you what you call syntaxis and semantics. How to read the Bible for what it is. How to translate the Bible in the words. For instance, one of the mistakes he makes is like a word power here. We see the word power and we run to the lexicon to find out what it means. Oh, power means dunamis. No, power don't mean dunamis. Dunamis means power. Oh, love. We go to the dictionary and think about love. Oh, love. But what is he saying? What kind of love? Is it agape? Is it agapeo? Is it eros? Is it filio? Is it agape? What kind of love is it? The word power here, ladies and gentlemen, hear me, it's not dunamis. That is a kind of power that you guys haven't really heard me talk about or you hardly see it in the dictionary or whatever you use. Same word used as pneuma. The word pneuma is a borrowed word. Uh, for those of you that understand a bit of physics, that's what you call pneumatics. Wind. Hydraulics. Hydraulics. Wind. Pressure. Pneuma. Spirits. The Bible says here, <laughs> that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches. But let me read a part that I want to talk about now. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ. The, this power is called iskos. Okay? For instance, the microphone. The microphone is powerless without the batteries. Amen? We look at the oh, microphone is powered on. How is the microphone powered on? Because there is a power in the but microphone is powered on because there's a battery, or there's life in it. When I speak in this microphone, you hear my voice, right? It is one thing. There are three things that make this thing functional: the microphone as a hardware, the battery as the life giver, and the ability to switch on. This thing here is called iskos. Switched on. Therefore, you have the Spirit of Christ in you. But you have to be switched on. Switched on. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because I go through this suffering, Christ switches on his power. The rest, that word rest is not the word sabbath. The word is called kataposis. Not sabbatismus. Kataposis means a rest that takes over. Kataposis. You pause from your work. And God's power rests over you, takes over you. You are engulfed in his power. When we come before the Lord in our weaknesses, he comes in and overtakes us overpowers us. That's what is used in chapter number 2 of the book of Acts when the day of Pentecost was fully come that the Shekinah was on them. Bible says it came on them, then in them and overtook them. Para, Bible speaks of, you know, para en epipleru, para en epipleru. The power of God came and overtook man. That is the same power that overtakes us when we come before the Lord as surrendered vessels. Amen. Like God take over. I can't do it anymore. Have you been there before when you prayed, God, I can't do it anymore. Take over. And done. 
That's what God wants to hear from you today when you cry to the Lord. I'm done. Just take over now. Overpower me. Switch it on. Are you here in church? Come before God surrendered. Therefore, I take the pleasure of infirmities in reproaches, in needs. Oh, God. Let me read it again. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, for when I am without help, then I am made strong. For when I am infirmity, then I am made strong. How am I made strong? For when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit of the Lord maketh intercession for us words with groanings that cannot be uttered. Why can it not be uttered? Because you are weak. In that weakness, God comes in as your advocate and makes pity. In that weakness, God comes and says, Oscar, you've done all you could. You've prayed, you've fasted, you've sown, you've given everything. Now it's for me to take over. You've done all you could. You've sown, you've blessed, you've done everything you could. It's time to drop yourself on that altar. And let me speak to the Father on your behalf. Drop yourself on the altar. Because there was something I want to do that your strength cannot give you. You fasted, it didn't work. Drop yourself on the altar. If there is anything God wants from you today, it's God, I'm tired. Take over. Tired of praying the same prayer every single time. Tired of asking for the same thing again and again. I just want you to come take over. It's a takeover day for me today. I don't know about you. I'm tired of that repetitious prayer. I'm ending soon. It says, for when I am weak, how are you strong when you are weak? It doesn't make sense. This is the greatest oxymoron ever. It's like paradox. When I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, I don't understand. How can you be weak and strong? What is saying that when I am, when I have given up on myself, then there is an overtaking power that walks on my behalf. My mother used to say, you can't have two captains in a boat. In a boat. Is this true? When I am weak, then I'm strong. I'll read this as I end. I'm 10 minutes more, right? Yeah. First Peter chapter number 1, verse 3 to 12. Mm. Oh, God. Say, Lord, help me. I surrender myself, my will, and my strength. And I ask that you take over. There are things that I don't understand. Lord, take over. There are pains I don't understand. Lord, take over. There are situations I cannot control. Lord, take over. I don't know why I go through what I go through. But Lord, take over. First Peter chapter number 1, verse 3 to 12, I'll read quickly. The Bible says, Blessed is the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time apocalypse in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials have you been through trials guys mm -hmm. you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Christ whom having not seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that will come to you searching what or what matter of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow somebody said there is a glory that will follow this suffering mm. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I see Peter writing to his brethren about the, the need for the suffering because someday when Christ will come and appear, and those of us who have spent time suffering for the sake of the gospel, will stand before a beamer seat and then he will say to you, oh good and faithful prophet, oh good and faithful apostle, oh good and faithful banker, oh good and faithful doctor, oh good and faithful servant, come into your rest. That same catapulsis Come into the fruit of your perseverance. Come into the fruit of your pain. Come into the fruit of all you sought for. I end with two scriptures. Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose hearts, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. <laughs> I like how Paul writes, you know, he wrote to the Corinthian church and said, light affliction is for a moment. Mm. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen. I will leave this for now. It says, great of glory, just finish it. While we do not look for the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul calls it light glory. 
a light affliction. Why? We call it a nominative, a comparative verb. The reason why Paul calls it a light affliction is because this affliction will be weighed against a glory that will be revealed. It's almost like saying that, and this is not purgatory, it's almost like saying, for every test that you go through here, there is a reward in your faithful stewardship. Amen. As you navigate life's journey, I don't want you to feel like God has forsaken you. God is saying that all things, say to your neighbor, all things, work together for your good. Tell them to say, stay there. Soon enough, you will testify. One day, you and I will stand before God and, no, don't repeat after me, it's okay. And then, crowns will be given. But the weight of your crown is directly proportional to the weight of your thorns. And I preached one time from thorns to thrones. The weight of your crown is directly proportional or the weight of your thorns. So your crown is directly proportional to the weight of your thorns. And I know you're bleeding. I don't know about you, but sometimes you have your, the, the what's it called again, the spikes from the thorns, and you don't want it. But it's necessary for your next level. While you are there, bow your heads. I don't know who is suffering here. I don't know who has a thorn that seems almost impossible to deal with. I'm not coming to you as one who takes our thorns, but I'm here to say the one who pulls our thorn is here. I ask you to sit down because I want you to take the time to just think about the, the one thing that you feel like is taking so long is here to fix you. Stay there for the next one minute. Just think about that because the Lord is here. Sometimes it doesn't take it away. It tells you, no, it's not enough. Oh, you're almost there. No, you're almost there. You're almost there. You're almost there. Now ask the Lord to fix you. Say, Lord God, I surrender everything. I want you to surrender where you are. You'd have to come to the altar. Say, Lord God, take over. Take over, take over, take over. Overpower me, Lord Jesus, and take over. Take over. Take over. I come before you, a weak vessel. I'm a weak man, I'm a weak woman. But take over everything that I know. You are the Lord. Take over. Come on, pray that prayer, Lord, take over. You've tried, you've cried. Nothing has seemed to shift and move. But this was a man who says, Lord God, please, please, please. And the Lord tells him, my grace is sufficient. Tell the Lord, Lord, I need your grace even now. I need your grace even now. Even now. I 
I need your grace now. Tell him. Stay there. Even now, even now. Lord, take over. I try to fix it myself. I can't. There's this one thorn in my life I've been asking God to remove, remove. Lord, I come before you this day. Take over. I'm not even trying to compete with you. I'm not even trying to question you. Take over everything, Jesus. Take over. I've tried the best way that I could, but I can't. Take over everything that I know. Take over. Just one more minute. Pray that prayer, Lord. Surrender. Surrender everything. Surrender your strength. Surrender your strength. You think you can save yourself? You cannot save yourself. You've tried too long. Surrender your mind. Surrender your pride. Surrender your pride. <laughs> That's why it hasn't been fixed because you are too proud. Surrender your flesh. Surrender. You've got two minutes to pray this prayer. Surrender. Surrender everything. Surrender. Stop fighting it. Stop questioning it. Surrender. Surrender. Surrender all. Surrender all. Surrender everything that you think you know. Surrender. Everything that you feel you know, drop it where you are. Say, God, take over. I surrender my will. I surrender my ways. I surrender my mind. Surrender my thoughts. I surrender all. Surrender my will. Surrender my way, surrender my heart, surrender my thoughts, everything in me I surrender. Come and just surrender. Surrender everything, surrender your mind, surrender your intellect, surrender, surrender. Lord God, I'm coming as a broken vessel. I give you everything that I know and I own. I surrender all, I surrender all. I surrender all, surrender all, I surrender all, surrender all. Give him everything, everything. Give him your marriage, give him your mind, give him your money, give him your ministry, give him your future. Say, Lord, I cannot do it by myself. I surrender everything that I know and I own. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. Give him everything, not one, not two. Everything that you own. Give everything. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. Set your heart. There were idols in your heart you have to submit and surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. 
I surrender all. Give him everything, everything you think you know. Come on, such. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. It is not your fasting that can save you. It is not your thighs and offering that can save you. It is not our faith for you are that can save you. It is to come to the Lord, submitted, and you are surrendered before the Lord. Come surrender to the Lord, to the Lord, and let him take over everything. Say, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. <laughs> oh, we surrender all. As a church, we surrender. We surrender all. We surrender all. We surrender all. It's, it's very normal for the church to feel like some people are deeper than some people and then you form cliques and form groups and you feel like you have no sin. I can't speak to this sister because I'm more holier than the sister. We begin to form evil network but we think it's a network of deep people. You need to surrender your pride. Your pride. Bring it on the beat. I feel like I should tell the church people this. For those of you that feel like you are too deep in the Lord, you feel like I'm so deep with God I cannot even have conversations with every, every, anyone, you need to surrender your pride. You've created cliques and groups and, and clans and say, well, this is my group of people, I don't talk to them. You need to surrender your pride. That one prize is actually not working in your favor. Surrender your, your everything, you know, your mind. Who told you intelligent? Pride comes before a fall. Surrender. You want to hear the truth? Surrender your rights. Yes. Yes, you are right. Yes, you are right. But surrender the right. Oh, I deserve an apology. They should apologize to me. They hurt me. They break me. No, I should be apologizing. Surrender the right for apology. Surrender it. Surrender it. You hold grudge against your brother and sister. And you say, well, I should be apologized to. You need to surrender your pride and surrender your rights. God is looking for broken vessels today. I'm calling us to repentance. Surrender everything that you feel you know. I surrender all. To Jesus, I surrender all. I want you to sing the song from your belly. Say. From the blessing all to Jesus, cry to the Lord. We surrender. Oh, we come before you. 
entrance. We need to cry that we surrender. We surrender. Give him everything, everything, everything. We Everything that you know, one more time, we surrender, give him everything for the last time. I surrender all. Unto Jesus. Lord, I. lead your flock and sometimes your flock would bleed and the shepherd wouldn't see let's search everyone here that could have been bleeding and are asking for help search your people everyone who has been afflicted by the thorns of life we ask, oh God, that you search them now and just pour out your spirit to rest upon them. Every man, every woman here that has been wounded and scarred and starved and wounded, oh God, send your Holy Spirit right now. Heal them, oh God. Heal them, oh God. Heal them. Lord, send your wind and send your fire and, and heal their infirmities, oh God. My brothers and sisters in pain, that you will visit them, oh God, in this time of suffering. Help us, oh God, to skip through this season. I've ended, but hear me for the next one minute. Look at me, church. I've, I've struggled to say what I want to say. I, I struggle to say this, and I, I don't know if I want to say this again, but I, I want to address the church. I want to address the entire body of Christ for those that will watch this video later. 
everything that has a start has an end. And time is the greatest currency given to man to find out his assignment on the earth. And we don't have a lot of time. On two reasons. By way of death or by way of the coming of the Lord. And when the believer stands before the Lord, he will give account of how he managed his time or time. Ecclesiastes, the preacher writes, there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to smile and a time to mourn. A time to give and a time to be taken away. There's a time that has been given when the breath of God came into your lungs or when it came into life. God put a set time. There was a movie I used to watch back in the day. You live by time. You have like a time count on your hands and once the time finishes, you die. Everyone who lived had a time frame or whatever. You had to be wealthy to buy more time. Have you seen the movie before? Yeah, more time. Unfortunately, you cannot buy time. The quality of time is not its longevity. The quality of time is how you bless those around you. I address the church today. I know the church is not perfect. The church is work in progress. I know the church is not there. I know the church is still being built. But let's live as believers. Let's be Christians that we profess. Let's show love that we claim. Let's show love that we profess. Beefing is not in the nature of Christ. Enmity is not in the nature of Christ. I will speak to certain people, it's not in the nature of Christ. Unnecessary backlash is not in the name of Christ. I have, not, not just addressing the church, I have stayed back and I've watched how we respond to our fellow believers. And I question how we profess love and have issues expressing love. I think when I buried my spiritual daughter two weeks ago, I began to see the meaning of life. Because you do not know. My mom said to me, said to myself and my wife yesterday, that when she was at the airport from Lagos coming to London, she said, this guy, she was, this guy called me while I was on my way to London. And we, I answered him, I'm going to get back. So my mom came back, to, my mom got home, called the guy and said to the guy, oh, I'm in London now. And someone has, there you there yesterday, someone has picked a call and said, well, he just died. I mean, she called me, she, she was flying into London on Friday. He called her, prayed for her and said, once he landed in London, let me know. Amen. Landed in London. She called the man to tell the man in London now. And someone picked the call and said, oh, he just died. Life is like wind. No man knows when the Lord will call them home. The greatest 
that the saddest part about life is that when you refuse to forgive someone and the past, it will haunt you for the rest of your life. When you refuse to forgive someone and the past, you will never forgive yourself. I'm calling the church, body of Christ in general, to fix up and love as Christ loved the church. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word. I've given instruction as I've heard. I struggle to release this word, but I believe that those who have ears will hear. And every word that comes from your mouth, Lord, teach us to see you as the God of love. That when we suffer together, we suffer in your glory. And that Christ is revealed in our suffering. Give the Lord a shout.